0: Tom, did you pick Waterloo in that game? Do I remember this correctly?
1: Yes. Yes, I did, Zach.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. We are here this week to break down the totality of the 2022 season before we get into our week, or pardon me, our week one of playoffs, I suppose. I'm already butchering off the start we expected there'd be some bumps in this one um and you're asking yourself who's the we we've kind of been setting up some surprise guests possibly coming in this show well joining me mm, i don't really have a left or a right now but joining me are the familiar voices you've been hearing all year long in tom sterling and nate hobbs tom nate hello 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 hello, hello, hello. Thank you. That's your cue to speak. Excellent. Um, and joining us, uh, the, the mystery guest that to, to many, perhaps the, the mystery is, well, uh, to no surprise. But joining us from the Lions Den, from the York Lions themselves, we have former at the 55 Potter himself. Current running backs coach for the Lions, Dakota Vine. Dakota, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. How are you?
2: Uh, it's good to be back always good to be back on on the pod especially with all these friendly faces here um you said you said Potter it sounded like Harry Potter there for a second I got confused but that's just hey, it's been
0: a while since I've been on the mic so well much like this oua season magical things are about to happen on this episode so it's it's only fitting that we uh that we tie in a little magicalness from the Harry Potter realm so what we're gonna do is Kind of do a bit of a quick recap, just some general thoughts on how the season went. Go over some predictions of possible awards that might be might be handed out throughout the playoffs. And, um, well, just see where this madness uh, sort of unfurls. Uh, currently, the over-under for length of this podcast is set at an hour 45, so uh, at just under two minutes. And get your bets in while your bookie is still taking them. Um, before we kind of get into the general spiel... Um, dakota you know to whatever extent you would like to how's it been being at york you you kind of seen it from both sides now as uh on on the mics kind of looking at it from the outside in now of being on the inside of one of these uh fine organizations in the oua um in whatever approach you want to take it um what is there what surprised you the most what was the, what was enriching from the experience what would you like to say
2: Uh, Well, this is my first full season, I guess, because I was coming off the COVID season my first year. What surprises me the most is how long the season is when you do not have a bye week until the end. So I'd like to say that I am fresh and recovered off of my week nine bye week. Um, But yeah, as as a team that went in and played Guelph in an exhibition game, and we all know kind of how that went, um, to then just playing eight straight games, it's tough. It's tough on the bodies, I'm sure. I was listening to the episodes as much as I can. You guys notice our, our guys were going down. It's tough. It's a grind no matter where your bye week is, but having it at the end of the week is our end of the season. is definitely tough. Um, and obviously not the outcome that we wanted throughout the season. Uh, we got that one asterisk victory, whatever we want to call that over Mac. Um, but I mean, I think it's fair to say that we're all kind of disappointed in how the season went, except for uh some people on Twitter are probably not disappointed. Uh, we, we, we see what people
0: tweet or comment. Uh, I, I'm certain you do. Well, you know, not how the season went, um, but, you know, when and we'll get into sort of where we thought the season was going to go and how it unfolded in the actual records. The York Lions at one and seven was, I believe, if I'm counting correctly, one of three teams that we actually pegged correctly as far as where we thought they'd land in the final standings in terms of wins and losses. So yay us, yay York. Um, let's pass it over firstly to, uh, let's give it uh, Nate a chance to speak here, just kind of looking at the season Biggest takeaway, biggest surprise, or just thoughts overall in this 2022 campaign?
3: Yeah, I mean it's you know, it's the teams are always rising and falling. And I think, you know, for me, what what stands out the most is is kind of uh maybe two omissions from the top that we thought were going to be there. Um, in Mac and Guelph. Um, just you know, looking at the board and seeing those two teams outside the playoffs and seeing it Toronto and Windsor in the playoffs. You know, something that I'm not used to seeing on the board, something that traditionally over the past decade is not super common. And I think having those teams in the mix is super cool. And, you know, teams that uh, have great fans and, and alumni and things like that and, you know, have their chance to, to take a shot at a couple of big dogs coming up. So I think in general, that's that's always exciting to see is kind of the parody and, and it makes things more dramatic for sure.
0: Tom, similar with Dakota, you've now had experiences uh, unlike uh, the rest of us to perhaps get a sense of other sort of aspects of OUA action, having called the uh, final Queens-Laurier game from uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, and we'll perhaps dive into a bit more of that when you and I uh, get to do the uh, preview of the round one games uh, come Friday. But when you look back on the season, similar with Nader, what's your major takeaways?
1: Yeah, you can't talk about the surprises of the season without talking about Mack and Guelph. Uh, We completely thought that those were going to be two teams at the very top. And now both of them are out of the playoffs, with uh, Guelph only having one win. Um, (laughs) The other surprise that I have is that at the very beginning of the season, we predicted Ottawa to go two and six. And they finished the season at six and two and were very close to claiming the number one spot in the OUA have, you know, if they had beaten Western, which obviously they did it. But it was such a turnaround from everything that we kind of thought that they were going to do and JPC Mckinda, And obviously we'll get into that. But uh, Ottawa's success has definitely been one of the things that I'm most surprised about yeah
0: I'm almost wondering if maybe we just had a typo maybe that two and six was supposed to be a six and two. Let's just chalk it up to that and uh, put that one on the social media team um I mean it, Dakota I don't know if you want to sort of uh voice anything as far as your biggest surprises uh whether in sort of a positive or a negative at all
2: yeah i mean i'll I'll tread lately when it comes to negative things. It's not two thousand and eighteen Dakota anymore, but I think Mac was the biggest surprise um you know, whatever their record ended up being. And especially, obviously, we got a sideline view of what they were capable of. Um, and then who is it they were? They were the close game with Queens, right? I think yeah. their, their record was definitely surprising. Um, just seeing the talent that they have on the field. And I would personally suspect they're going to have, depending on what they do with certain personnel groups, uh, quite a big, maybe even a flip of the record next year. Um, and it is just for other teams. I mean, it's it's nice to see the guys I know in Ottawa succeed as much as they did, especially with kind of the question mark you guys put on them with two and six.
0: Yeah. Uh, once again, you know what there was, and, and I'm kind of stepping on a category we'll go over uh, a little bit later. Uh, Tom obviously brought up JP's name. Um, I, I said it from pretty well, I'd say week four on, I think their receiving core was as good, if not the best amongst the, uh, teams in the OEW, but it was the pivot kind of getting the ball out who in uh, Ben Miracle who I think made such a great improvement on this year but we'll get to that in a little bit um, I mean it's hard not to say that the Guelph and Max of the world were the biggest surprises but uh, Quickly, just to compare, I mean, we've kind of danced around our preseason predictions, uh, going into the season, and in contrasting those with the actual final standings. Um, so, where we thought things would finalize at, we uh, well, as far as the ones we got right, uh, starting off at the top, Western eight and zero. Then we uh, well, it gets it goes sideways pretty quick. Where we had uh, Guelph and Mac both at six and two, Laurier and Queens five and three, Windsor and Carlson four and four, Ottawa and. Waterloo at 2-6, York at 1-7, and and the one that perhaps caused the most hoopla early in the season, the U of T Varsity Blues, 0-8. Nate, as someone who was in attendance, uh, a season ticket holder of the Varsity Blues, and you also took your show on the road to to watch that final game at Ron Joyce, you almost threw down with some of the Blues uh, fans and followers in the stands, when you look at their season, you know, it's some of these games I do want to go back to Mac and Guelph briefly to kind of those are kind of the tale of two different seasons, though they both were disappointing. They were disappointing for different reasons and Mac was much more competitive in their losses than Guelph was. Um but that UFT team, like where did where did we go wrong? I mean, is it just as simple as that like we from sort of our perspective from the outside couldn't have seen what Kensel Philip was uh able to do this year, what Adam Williams was able to do in some of those breakout games he had, what do you think was the big key we were missing?
3: Uh, I think, you know, the defense was, was still solid, I guess, from, from a year before, but I think it comes down to, I think for me, it's, it's growth as a program. Um, Cause traditionally, I mean, you, you would think a, a team of like U of T, you know, they had a great year last year. Um, but obviously we had questions about who was coming in behind them and, you know, some of the bigger programs, you're less likely to ask questions about those guys who are replacing the big names um, because you have faith in their recruiting and, you know, them as an institution to bring in the next guys, whether that be, you know, a Western now Queens uh, you know, maybe Mac in the past, we had some faith in, but I think, you know, that's such a huge step for them as a program um, having to be able to replace a guy like Clay Sakara, Will Corby, oh, uh, Nolan Lovegrove, um, with fresh guys that have that have been coming up through the program for the past couple of years that were there when I was there were just young kids. And to see them come into form, I think, it, is huge for the program. Um, and I'd be remiss without mentioning, you know, having a a new full-time coordinator as well in uh, Joe Demore and kind of what they're able to do offensively, you know, not perfect throughout the season, but, um, you know, I'll say for sure last week in particular, able to come up in big spots and, and have enough there to get the job done, so... Uh, I think in general, just really positive for for the program as a whole. I don't think the season's a one-off and, you know, really shows how much like as a holistic program institution that uh U of T's really grown a lot.
0: It, it was, it was a kind of a, 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 a very, Nifty little stumble you had there, and almost saying Owen Lovegrove because, of course, Owen Lovegrove playing for the Waterloo Warriors right now. And I think that was the comparison. That I think a lot of us kind of looked at where you have Waterloo graduating out uh, Trey, and of course they lost so many of their other skill positions over the years, whether it's Dion Pellerin, um, Tyler Ternowski, and of course now we're seeing uh, Gordon Lambs last season. And kind of paralleling that with UFT with the Clay era. You mentioned sort of the the, the Bird Gang with, with Corby with Lovegrove in there. Obviously, though for Waterloo, um, though there was perhaps some moments uh, of excitement with that team, almost giving Guelph the the oh and eight season uh, in a near massive comeback they had there. A good battle against those UFT Blues. Um, Tom, let me throw this to you. Then you know when we kind of look at those two teams, you know we looked at Nolan Cabana at times, like really exciting to watch this year. Um, Just James Basilea keeps getting more and more impressive, having some really impressive running backs at times, maybe a young O-line, a defense that seemingly everyone moved the ball on. And obviously there's things to improve there. Is it wrong that we went into the season perhaps just too superficially saying two superstar quarterbacks leaving the program, some of the top skill position around them graduating out as well probably isn't going to go so hot for these two teams or kind of perhaps piggybacking off of some of Nate's points. Do you see U of T, how do you see those teams differently now at the end of the season?
1: Yeah, I think definitely what, what Nate kind of yeah. said and piggybacking off of that, there's absolutely a bias in the OUA and I'm 100% a part of it of being like, Hey, the top teams are the top teams. And even if they're losing their star players, they have people to just backfill them because that's been the, the formula quite frankly, for Western for ever they lose a top player like, um, you know, anybody that you can think of. You lose Will Finch. You have somebody else to replace him. You lose even this past game. Uh, Evan Hillock goes down. Jackson White comes in and picks up like nothing ever happened. You know, it's we've just been expecting that from all of these teams, and that's obviously not the case. Now, Guelph and McMaster had a whole list of other things that happened to them or whatever, but the fact is they're not in the playoffs. Now, with Toronto and with um, Waterloo – Typically, all of the success that we've been seeing has been because of these superstar athletes like a Clay Sequeira and like a Trey Ford. And with those losses, you never replace those guys right off the hop again. There's always going to be a step down. But I think we just assumed that that step down was going to be a team wide step down and that star power was really going to affect them. But the team as a whole, certainly in Toronto's uh, point is much, much better than we what we originally thought it was. You know, when they can get the running game going, that team looks outstanding. I will never forget watching that Toronto-Carlton and game and losing it being like, hey, at halftime, it's like 2-1, to one, but Carlton is nowhere close to being in this game. And then Toronto finally got it going and, and separated from them in the second half. So Kinsale-Philip, Nolan Caban, two up-and-coming quarterbacks at the very least – I've said this before, but I truly believe that Kinsale has the ability to be a Trey Ford-esque. It's going to take him a few years to get to that point, but he's got the explosiveness. I've seen the arm strength. He can take off and run with it. So I think that Toronto is going to be really exciting. And if they can continue to have the bodies around him to support him, maybe get a little bit of extra beef up front and just get that running game a little bit more consistent. Toronto could be a consistent, you know, at the very least, middle of the pack kind of team going forward here. So, been really exciting. As much as it hurts me that McMaster <laughs> lost out to the playoffs, seeing teams like Windsor and Toronto and different teams get their chance has been really exciting.
0: And you know, kind of talking about these teams as being uh, exciting does sort of segue us nicely into sort of one of the you know unofficial awards that we want to talk about. Uh, but before we get there, because you did mention that UFT Carlton game, which was pretty much. Well, there was that first half in the opening game against Queens where it was like, "Wait, what is going on? Does does Queens just stink all of a sudden or is UFT just like got something going?" Um, and it was that Carlson game as you said in the second half where it was, you know, just something to behold. But Dakota, and I want to go to you with this quickly because, once again, the perspective of getting to sort of study some of these teams more in depth than we get to sort of break it down from our perspective. Uh, Carlton is probably the team that we most consistently, and until we realized that Guelph was just bad, I think we were able to come to that consensus a few weeks back. And, and well, Mac, maybe Mac brought themselves back into the conversation of what the heck was going on this whole year, but Carlton consistently from start to finish was kind of this like are as Nate kind of quoted the sort of the Bill Simmonsism of like are they a are they the good bad team? Are they a not so good good team? Cuz they just kind of felt when you'd watch their games pretty up and down. They can obviously be effective in all facets of the game on offense, specials and defense, but just that consistency just seemed to be a bit lacking with them despite having Pretty great talent on paper. Of course, first year for Corey Grant there. For you, going out there and getting to sort of scout them um, in much more depth than we get to sort of uh, analyze from our perspectives. What was your take on the Carlton Ravens this year?
2: Um, well, I mean, it's just speaking to the UFT Carlton Ravens, I mean, I I honestly think that UFT is the perfect team to go and face the Ravens. Um, in the sense where Kinsale is still, I don't want to say he's not proven. Uh, he's done a lot of great things in the league this year. Um, but I think we can all say he's no clay, clay, killer clay, right? Um, play with a K, throw, baby play with a K, um, in a sense where he's not going to consistently drop back and throw 60 yard bombs. Um, he's very mobile, um, in and out of the pocket and obviously Toronto with the new OC liking to run the ball now and having the ability to run the ball with those three running backs that they have, um, is the perfect matchup when it goes towards Carlton's 30 front. Um, you know, similar to say, what we were saying, you know, before we started recording with, with certain teams being able to have their O-line just clear a path for the first 10 yards. If you just, if you're going to stay in the 30 front and teams are going conti- to continue to run against you, that's, you know, not going to work out too well for you. It didn't really work out too well for Carlton. Um, as you, I mean, think for York, at least we, we had our, one of our best running games against Carlton. Obviously the, the score was the other way around, but, um, yeah, I think the the thirty front was kind of their their biggest Achilles heel, at least when it came to the, the Toronto game. And,
0: and yeah, and, and that was obviously pretty consistent. One of the things that was consistent about them was the fact that teams were running on them, except for the Windsor Lancers, which is still that game just befuddles me. You know, I'm the traveling from Windsor to Ottawa for the one o'clock game. I mean, we can rehash that whole piece on it as well, but that game is still one of the games. I look back on the schedule and be like, I don't really get why we got that outcome. Um, but nonetheless, the Carlton Ravens, uh, in a number of exciting games, um, though it was perhaps the other team that was eliciting more of that excitement. Um, so let's get into that. Uh, Nate, uh, let me move to you first, uh, which was the most, I mean, you obviously were intense for all these U of T games. Um, you, you know, you bleed blue, all that good stuff. Um, What was your most, what was the team you were most exciting to watch week after week? Um, Whether it was, well, exciting team can be for both good reasons and bad reasons sometimes. But who is the team that you found you were consistently being like, I really want to check in on their games?
3: Yeah, I think like this is actually like a really tough question. I was thinking about this before and I'm going to go with a really, really, really obscure answer. I'm going to say Waterloo. Um, and Ooh. it's not because necessarily Waterloo themselves are like this most amazing team that I like to watch, but simply because, you know, they had an offense that were able to move the ball against certain teams um, and they were always going to give up a high number of points. So just in terms <laughs> of like, what was ex- the most exciting football to watch? I love watching Queens of Western. I mean, they both great offenses, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, the games are going to get out of hand sometimes pretty quickly. And, you know, Hey, if you love defense and things like that, Maybe that's your thing. But to me, in terms of like pure like entertainment and like excitement, I think, you know, <laughs> Waterloo was in a, probably the most exciting games I think uh, over the course of this season.
0: I, you know, I mean, that if we that com- almost near comeback against Guelph was, you know, already kind of referenced that as well. Not most- to mention the U of T game as well. And the uft game but smack dab in between those was of course the uh stop the fight throw the white flag uh western beat down and western beat down a lot of teams but that was the one where i just i remember watching being like i i I don't feel good right now i feel like i'm participating in something that is bad that is that is not right but you know you you highlighted of course that some you know a lot of other teams kind of getting their mojo going against them one of those teams was tom sterling's mcmaster marauders when they put up the 43 nothing p on waterloo and that was a game that i think it, I, i'm not going to dig right back into our predictions when we went week by week but i think coming off the the guelph game and and mac having just lost to ottawa i tom, that was a, tom did you pick waterloo in that game do i remember this correctly
1: yes yes i did zach <laughs> but in my defense they lost six other games that i wasn't really expecting them to well five other games i, I really wasn't expecting them to lose all that much so I had really given up hope there and then they (laughs) gave me some hope and then they took it away again.
0: Oh, dear. Well, the Waterloo Warriors were at the at the hand of giving you that hope, whether you're in lockstep with Nate on that pick or going somewhere else. Who is your pick for the, the most exciting team you were looking at week after week or at some point in the season? You were like, you know, whether it was a bit late in the game, you were like, this is this is my squad.
1: Uh, I think anybody who's been listening to the pod pretty consistently throughout this entire year knows my answer, but it is for sure the Windsor Lancers uh, watching Joey Zorn kind of go off and uh, establish himself as a must watch kind of a player here. Now he did have some inconsistencies, obviously the Carlton game, they weren't able to get things going and things, but like with the quarterback controversy that we saw at the very beginning, we weren't sure if it was going to be Danny skeleton or Josh Sims or whatever. And then, Skelton just kind of goes off and it's like, oh no, this is, this is the guy. Uh, and watching how they were, how they were doing. And I uh, almost like this close to be beating Ottawa in Windsor and seeing Ottawa, obviously at the number three spot in the standings here, um, going to Guelph and beating them down pretty handily for their first win. And what their first road win in something like seven seasons or something like that. It was uh just a fantastic year to watch the Lancers. And by the way, the second team that we actually predicted properly, uh, Windsor Lancers going four and four at that prediction, which was awesome. But uh, yeah, these Windsor Lancers have been a real cheat to kind of watch. And I'm, uh, I'm interested to wa- keep watching them in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Windsor. Um, I mean, without running attack and also, you know, gosh, shout out Christopher John as well. Uh, you know, so it's like, Joey Zorn, obviously. And, and, just seemingly appearing out of nowhere for, for Windsor. But clearly there's, there's a system there that works for them, uh, where it, it wasn't just him being all the gash teams. John was having a really good, uh, had a pretty good season himself. Uh, Dakota, uh, obviously, uh, from your vantage point, not necessarily a, a, a perspective you might think about when you're watching teams or scouting them. But was was there a team that either you played against or just checking into other games that you were like, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting tuning in or, or just sort of following along?
2: Well, unfortunately, because of scheduling, uh, I didn't get to watch a lot of games. Shout out the OUA for I mean they did try to switch things up a little bit but uh a lot of one do, o'clock games
0: do should we should we segue super quickly into <laughs> do a, the schedule
2: do better for the first round of playoffs or they're a oh, spoiler they're all at one o'clock anyway sorry dakota go. yeah the, the first time i might turn the tv on and watch some oua uh, it's all at one o'clock um i mean i think there were two teams i kind of kept an eye on for myself obviously they're both they're on our schedule um but i couldn't figure out laurier for a little bit there um like are are they great are they not great um obviously they're in the playoffs they're a very solid team um but I think the team that I was kind of most excited to keep uh keep tabs on was Ottawa um just which is I, mean, I know it's kind of ironic when you look back at the episodes that I was on the pod and and kind of ripping into them before I started coaching um quarterback situation looks pretty solid right now great group of receivers great solid defense and then obviously you know jp simon of in that and that o-line and you know they came to york and they did what they did and they were yeah definitely i think the number one team that i was keeping tabs on that wasn't wearing red and white
0: yeah no, it's honestly that's it's it those it's funny those are your picks because honestly i i'm kind of on board with you there. I mean from week one, the Ottawa, the field goal to win it in Windsor. Um, you know, even when like even watching Ottawa um you know do what they did to Guelph was like when that team is like running super efficiently, it's just super fun to watch. And then being in the stands dakota to to watch their game against you was also very entertaining just kind of watching them you know just do their thing and of course you know the mac game was super entertaining in ron joyce the near comeback in there as well um and even the, the queens game was weird with the, the the weather and everything like that from the laurier standpoint nate i give you all the credit in the world for kind of identifying them as a team um a bit earlier than i think i jumped on though you know going back to our preseason predictions we had them at five and three so we didn't think they were going to be you know a bunch of schlubs or nothing like that um but i kind of they're a team that you know despite the the loss to queens in the last season um i i think are an example of a team peaking late um and they were consistent through the year but just going back to how they played when they went to windsor and that taylor elgersma just coming out party and then in the battle of waterloo um, the week after, and just another just beautiful showing by that offense. What Quentin Scott was able to do, obviously, you know, we talked about the weapons they have on offense. It's some. I guess easier for, I feel like we don't, we didn't mention Ente Aguavon's name all year that he, that, that he was, he's no longer with that program he was one of the best receivers in Ontario last year. Nate, just quickly before we move on to our next category, what was the thing that you were as, I mean, you were at the UFT uh Waterloo, or pardon me, Laurier game. So getting to see him in person a little bit, what was the thing that kind of for you was like, oh, okay, no, this, this is, this is a team, like they're going to be there down, you know, down the stretch and in the playoffs. I'm actually going to give myself more credit. It was actually
3: after the Western game, which week two, uh, the first game of the year, I was on it. Uh, but <laughs> but for me, it was just, the, you know, I mean, it was just balanced. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it had to do with Taylor Algersma, to be honest. And I think because seeing him in the year prior and kind of uh, definitely looked a lot like a young quarterback, <laughs> let's say, in a few of those games. And yeah, showed some potential, but at the end of the day, you know, it was still kind of a, you know, what's going to happen. But uh, early on, you know, he was a guy that looked confident, you know, it, it looked like he was more athletic than he looked in his initial year. Um, you know, it looked like he really got in the playbook. And I think part of it has to do with that offense. They do a really good job of, you know, being balanced. And even when it's, it's not straight runner pass, it's RPO, it's zone slice. They do all of those things pretty well. And I think, you know, Taylor was is a great guy to kind of fit in there. And obviously more of the emergence of Quinton Scott that we saw from last year um, and a, a defense that, you know, we've always known they could hang their hat on. So uh, for me early it was knowing that, you know, they were going to have, you know, he's not, you know, the best guy statistically in the league or anything like that. But a guy who's a great fit for that offense um, was really huge for me in kind of, you know, identifying them as, as someone who is going to be, you know, make some noise as the season went on.
0: Yeah, and, and, and the defense was solid and a defense that graduated out a number of just absolute ballers for them as well. So just really, you know, really impressive for a team that had for the last three years always kind of been the consistently, like, get your stuff together, Loria. You should be better than you're doing. Like, you know, make the playoffs, like be, do better, to quote our, our friend Dakota Vine there. Um Let's use that as, you know, talking about um, Elgar's Ascension and, uh, you know, perhaps I'm stepping on where some of you are going with this. But let's look at most improved um, as far as who we thought made the biggest leap from last year to this uh, season. Um, Tom, having just given Nate the floor there, uh, what what thoughts have crossed your mind uh, in sort of coming into this pod as far as who you thought was most improved?
1: Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, Nate, with a solid eye at, at Laurier and everything, I wasn't sure how to think of the team, but certainly after watching them and getting a chance to go out and call the game last week and really seeing them, it was it was eye-opening to say the least. And I think if we're looking at most improved, I, I think we have to give that to Quinton Scott. Um, the guy who had... Really, you know, s- some sputterings here and there. We saw a couple of big plays last year, but we weren't really sure how things were going. But, I mean, he fig- he finishes the regular season with 924 yards, uh, seven touchdowns, and became like the focal point of that offense at, at a point there. Obviously, Algersma is, you know, really crushing it and doing everything that he's doing as a young quarterback and things. But uh, to see Quentin Scott kind of get an opportunity at the very beginning of the season and just run with it, I was really I was happy about that because we were talking about, you know, we wanted to see a little bit more Scott at the very beginning of the season here. And um, I was really happy to to see him explode into that starting position.
0: Dakota, what about for you? I mean, once again, a bit of a, you know, not the way you're looking at the game as a coach, but as far as players you were tracking last year um, and then who maybe made the leap, who who did you think uh, made that biggest jump?
2: Uh, do you want a Homer answer or do you want like a, a real answer?
0: Let's let's start with the answer, the Homer, and then depending on how the panel accepts it, we will uh, we will de- force you to either change it or continue as you are going. Uh, okay, Homer answer.
2: I'll go with uh, Justin Fawcett and Malca uh two guys that played combined, I would say, seven handoffs last year and got the majority of our carriers at York. Uh, I think they jumped from one yard to carry to like a four point seven average um obviously injury didn't help that but that's that's my homer answer those are obviously my guys
0: so real I go quick ahead. real quick on Melkus, if if you had the 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 backfield that you were expecting just if injuries not being you know obviously they're they thing for everyone where was he going into the air like slated on your depth chart
2: uh i'm assuming you're talking to about darnell jarrett going down
0: and yeah, and if then if also just, healthy. and I know Avante kind of, because you know, plays a bit in sort of that I guess like H or X position a bit too. But yeah, like where because Melkus is definitely a, like uh, one. I th- I thought there were some you had some good pieces in the skill position, you know, on offense. Darnell being one, Avante, and of course being two of the guys that we weren't seeing all that much this year, and Melkus kind of yeah stepping up that role and having some really solid games.
2: So I would say Dar- Darnell was our was our number one back, obviously coming into to Week One going to camp uh avante was never going to be a running back this year um that's not true obviously you saw him gain some carries out of our two back situation but his main focus was going to be in that kind of j spot at receiver uh jet sweeps deep passes mainly focusing on running routes and catching the ball obviously the, the confusion comes from him playing running back last year um, being with our running back group, but no, he wasn't working out with our running back groups. Obviously he has the ability to do and play a lot of positions on the field, but his focus was going to be a uh, receiver. So I would say everyone healthy. Melkus was going to be our number two back, but very much a, a one B type situation and and Fawcett throughout camp was, I wouldn't even say nipping at his heels. They were stride by stride and I was confident putting either of them in. I mean, Hey, we also had Spence Cockrell, it was a walk-on I got a few few carries tore it up against Guelph in the exhibition game too and is a, is a great blocker but you're talking and about most improved that's that's my homer answer
0: now let's go with the non homer
2: It's also kind of a homer answer here uh Dante <laughs> master Giuseppe hey uh went from being last in punt average the, last year and now he's uh, second in the OUA think that's a, a pretty big jump for him obviously don't love seeing him you know leaving the program and going to U of T, but I think that's the biggest jump you're gonna see and I know just from personal experience, he's you know having a good good season having a good time
0: Nate who do you, do you think made the biggest jump this year uh for me it's Ben Merkel. uh Zach I know you're happy to hear that answer uh, no, I'm not, because I should have gone before you, because that's also my answer. So you go ahead. Yeah, you... I
3: mean, I could go, I you know, I had other ones in the locker, but, uh, you know, for <laughs> me, you, uh, you know, I think for me, it was, you know, I'm not, he was, it's not as if he was a hindrance to the offense in kind of years past, but I think. You know, he was solid and, and kind of, but they were really missing kind of an element of the offense of, you know, being able to push the ball downfield, be able to convert on second and long situations uh, and make those, you know, high challenge throws uh, with guys ripped all over receivers because we all knew they had good receivers, right? But just kind of, you know, left, left a bit lacking in terms of accuracy at times and, and decision-making in the past. But I think this year, I mean, we've seen him execute the offense to, you know, as close as to full potential as we can see, you know, and kind of, you see the difference because it's not as if they didn't have the guys around him before they, they did, they had JP, they had Ola Dejo, they had all these guys around him. But now um, I think, and you know, a lot of it has to do with having another year under coach Marce's system. Um, You know, I can speak from my experience, you know, I had a great time um, learning under him and I'm sure, you know, having another year under that system, uh, Ben's probably, you know, reaping the benefits of that and, you know, a guy who really works hard and deserves deserves credit for, you know, at least some credit for where that team has ended up this year uh, compared to where
0: they were in the past. Oh, definitely. And I have some of the numbers that I'll kind of add on to that. But looking at the skill positions as well, I mean, obviously, JP um, had, you know, one of the best years in the OUA this season, um, but also seeing Almakar Polk have a couple of games where he was busting out for Major yards out of the backfield seeing uh Dimbongi, uh you know an, uh, one of the various uh Guelph Griffins um along with uh JP uh, or former Guelph Griffins I should say settling in in other programs and then uh Gegendron uh, or might be uh screwing that one up um, but another receiver who had some really impressive games for him uh, for them and, and by the numbers and, and comparing to last year and you might be you know, thinking, well, they only played six games this year. this year. Well, remember, Ben didn't play in the game against York this year. But in the six games, he actually threw for 20 more attempts than he did this year, partly because JP just had this massive, incredible year. But in those 20 fewer uh, attempts, he threw six more TDs, finished it with nine this year compared to his three, and five less interceptions. Um, and in his efficiency rating, about 32 eight points higher. So I'm complete lockstep with you. And once again, when that team and that offense, I mean, we knew the defense was going to be pretty solid and they were actually better than pretty solid. They were really darn good. Um, We knew what JP could do. They had all those skill positions around. And honestly, I think part of the reason not thinking they would end up so hot and uh, had some reason to believe some of those skill position guys we talked about might not have been back in that program. But I think Ben having this major uh, ascension is, you know, a massive uh, credit to sort of where they wound up. Um, so happy we got to shout out Mr. Miracle um, on that front. Um, so let's move from most improved to um, let's go to defensive player of the year. And, and this one's interesting because last year was one of the most exciting defensive player of the year conversations to have because we had what AJ Allen was doing at Guelph. We had what Deontay Knight was doing for Western and then Anthony Federico. And it was seeming, seemingly this, you know, hey, you can make an argument for any one of them and you really can't go wrong in your decision making. And then this year, it didn't feel like we had the exact sort of conversations about it felt like our conversations defensively were about defenses and not necessarily singular players having the type of just breakout years. Obviously, we, you know, talked about what Shaheem Charles-Brown did in their first week against Mac. When we kind of do the retrospective, what do we think about certain teams after we've seen more evidence? Shaheem Charles-Brown is an excellent pass rusher. The Mac offensive line clearly had their issues this year as they did last year as well. So we might want to factor that in, but nonetheless, the record is his Um, And a a number of other guys that we were talking about this year. I mean, Queens having a number of uh, great uh, playmakers on their team. Anthony Miller, uh, um, Melanson, I'm not sure how you say his last name fully, obviously uh, coming up with a number of big picks on that defense as well. Um, And and some other guys um, as well having good years. But once again, it seemed like a year that was more focused on defenses versus individual players. Um, Tom, let me go to you first on this. who is who? Who are you kind of going with your defensive play of the year? And any comments generally on, you know, kind of looking in contrast to last year? Um, I mean, was it just a factor that like you know Federico Knight and Allen are just like all world talent as we saw by like where they've ended up in you know in in different drafts and things like that, um, and just not necessarily having that top talent? Or what was your thinking? Or what sort of your thoughts thinking about DPoy this year?
1: Well. I think this year, if anything, was the year of the linebacker, really. And uh, my, before I say who I think is the defensive player of the year, my special uh, runner up or shout out, whatever, I'm actually going to give to a Guelph defender in Brandon Ferrigo. Um, he was the, <laughs> and it's tough because I know a lot of those guys and everything else, he was their run defense. Uh, if essentially if ferry wasn't making the tackle, it was going for a big gainer every single time, but um, he, he leads the league in assisted tackles in uh, tackles overall and tackles per game. And he's third in solo tackles on the year. The guy was flying all over the place for them and just trying to do anything that he could to establish something for that golf defense. And obviously was a, a big kind of focal point for that. But I think if we're really looking at a defensive player of the year and a similar thing to like, you know, you look at an OUA MVP or a Heisman, even in the States, there has to be a level of team success to go along with that um, kind of number or the, the award there. And if you're looking at team success and you're looking at the defensive player of the year, I think it has to go to James Peter. Um, having a defense like Ottawa be so solid and so, you know, Uh, They've got so many amazing assets to them. And then to have him, you know, Go leads all the categories, like I said, but he leads, James Peter leads the number one in the conference for solo tackles at 44, taking guys down on his own and is second in every other category. I think with the awesome defense that we know that Ottawa has, to have him stand out above all of that, I think he is uh, the deserving defensive player of the year.
0: Yeah. And, and I think you were the f- person that first put him on my radar. I was leading. Was it, I don't know where he wound up in the youth sports rankings, but that pretty early on, he was the top tackler. Um, and as we sort of said, and I think Dakota brought up in his assessment of Ottawa, you know, we knew the defense was going to be solid. That's seemingly like their MO year after year, um, you know, kind of in the ranks of some of those other teams that we can talk about as always being consistent on that front. Um, but, you know, yeah, no, I, I think that's a phenomenal pick. Um, and then the more I got into watching them and having them as my primary game I was following, um, you could really see, um, you know, it really just his excellence out there on the field uh, game after game. Um, Nate, let me go to you. Um, who did you like as your DPOY? Well, I did like James Peter. Uh, <laughs> I like James Peter as well. And I,
3: you know what? I, this is so hard, man, because like you said, we had the two stars last year, and I think, There's just so many guys that, you know, you go down the list and you could pick really any one of them. And I think, you know, you look at MVP and you look at the defensive player of the year, and I feel like you have these three teams in Western, Ottawa, and Queens. And two out of the three teams are going to get a guy in in those spots, but there's going to be a third team out. Um, And, you know, this might be crazy, but uh, I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to go to Carlton. I'm going to go Shaheem charles Brown. And, and, you know, this isn't like a pure numbers thing for me um, because, you know, he probably doesn't have the best numbers out of everybody. Um, But I think just from week to week and kind of seeing the mess he made in the backfield, like it was very impressive because, you know, there aren't many other players on that Carlton defense that I I can highlight off the top of my head. Um, Whereas, you know, if I think of another defensive player like on Queens, for example, um, Silas Hubert and, you know, Van Wisher, two incredible DNs. But, you know, those guys have each other and the linebackers and the DBs and, like, that unit is just so incredible, whereas Carlton, I feel like, um, for me, he just stands out that much more. And, you know, it's like, in terms of being, like, um, a valuable piece of that defense, I feel like he plays such a big role. So I will note my first choice was James Peter, but, you know, if I had to pick a second in just terms of, you know, a great honorable mention, great standout, Sheen Charles-Brown for me.
0: No, it's, it's an interesting distinction you make of, of uh, you know, The defense itself wasn't stellar, but that, you know, whatever aspects were kind of good were coming solely from him and not necessarily having as many other um, formidable pieces, obviously more in that secondary. When we think about um, some of the guys for the Carlton Ravens, there's definitely a number of standouts, uh, but a team that's often produced uh, box players that are tremendous and he's he's no slouch in that regard. Dakota, obviously coaching up the running backs, you're very well versed with the sort of game breaker type of guys where you're thinking week after week, who are the, you know, problems? Who are the guys that, you know, oh, we have to work around? Um, who, you know, who was the name that in, in your scouting or maybe a few names if you want to not have to pick just the one that were the guys that perhaps more than other players, you were like, okay, we really need to shore up the game plan on this, on this endeavor for this guy, a game breaker type person.
2: Uh, for the sake of hitting the under on this episode, I won't do any more Homer picks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there's not so much even the this, this scouting. Obviously we played a lot of great teams, a lot of great defenses. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to change my pick just based off other people already saying it, but James Peter really like standing on the sideline and watching what he was, There's a couple of times where he, I think we had an RPO and he hit our running back five yards deep in the backfield and, and Craney had to pull it right away. Um, I I remember seeing him do it, that. That's a dude right there. Like that, that's, that's that guy. And it's, and, and it's no shot at any other players, any other seasons, but when he's putting up the numbers that he's putting up, But he's also not playing on a team that is getting, you know, run through. Right? I mean, I think there's a lot of times where team where players will have fifty whatever tackles in a season, but it's because their defense is on the field so much. Ottawa is a very solid team, and he's still putting up those numbers, and he's he's noticeable. To get rid of the stats, even like just eye test alone, I would I would go James Peters or James Peters. Sorry.
0: Yeah. No. And. You know, he's definitely he was the, definitely the first name that came to mind for me. Um, I, I'm I'm to to change it up a little bit and to sort of invoke the perhaps the politicking that goes into awards season. And this isn't to undercut this individual at all, but you know, and and it goes in contrast to, to Nate's point about when you have other super talented players on your team, maybe that affects you know an an individual's ability to to play well or how their stats look and things like that, but. When you look at just the undeniable success of this team this year, and of course I'm talking about the Western Mustangs, the fact that this individual is, I believe, now playing in his final season for said Mustangs, and is the reigning Vanier Cup defensive player of the year. I'm donning my DPOY award to Daniel Valente Jr. Um, and I just also think that I mean that defense in so many categories, if not across the board, was the best in the OUA. And not a defensive guy myself, but that safety position really is the captain of that defense. So being that guy, having that veteran presence and, you know, leading them to that season that they did, um, going with, maybe it's a bit of a, a a chalk kind of answer, but I don't know if I, I, it's kind of hard not to, I, I think his throw his name out in that conversation as well. Um, so we'll see where the voters go on that one. Um, before we get to, the 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 mvp um i realized i didn't throw this into um the chat and sort of just the different categories will break down so i want to reframe the idea of rookie of the year slightly differently um and uh i'll sort of put tom on one side of the ledger uh, uh, on a debate that may occur if it does which is this um if not joey zorn who if not joey zorn who tom i imagine that if you were to think of the, the top rookie performing this year it, it would you're probably thinking it's it's your boy jay-z right
1: yeah i mean when you look at uh any of these categories here it has to be you know are they doing well obviously the numbers and everything else but how are they affecting the team you know do they bring the team up do they allow that team to be more successful and everything else as well and i think when you look at that joey zorn is definitely at the top of that list and i think probably unanimously that's who people are going to going to talk about but if we're going on the the idea of if not Joey Zorn who um, quite honestly I'm going with Isaiah Smith from Guelph Um, the running back for them he's first year kid out of Burlington ran his his butt off uh, and every single chance that he got rarely if ever did he go down with the first tackler I think he's going to be a uh, a bit of a focal point for them, certainly going on into the, the rest of this season. And uh, quite honestly, I I think if, A, he gets the starting job earlier than what he did, because I think he took over the Windsor game, which is week three, if I'm um, not mistaken. And B, if Guelph is actually good this year, I think Isaiah Smith is right up there in the conversation with Joey Zorn. But both of those things didn't happen, and so it's going to be Joey Zorn. But if it wasn't him, then I'm definitely going with Isaiah Smith. Sorry, Tom. One more time. Where's Isaiah Smith from? Burlington, Ontario.
0: Oh, right. Sorry, I thought I, I thought I misheard you there. Um, yeah, I you know, and that was such a great duel of those two backs going to that. It was, it was week two or week three. I'm not remembering um, which one exactly. Um, Nate, if not Joey Zorn, who? This has to be a first year kid, right? i would assume that's how it would work
3: (laughs) we're not doing the first year starter deal then i feel like look like i could try and reach around it and find things but i think tom nailed it on the head i'm in lockstep with him you know i think the only maybe a couple other things i would mention is you know queens had a couple great you know first year backs come in and kind of Kasari and longa and maybe in different situations they would have produced more um but i you know I'm just going to note that, but I think, you know, I'm in lockstep with Tom and sort of how he broke it down.
0: Dakota, maybe taking the Homer pick. Cause obviously sometimes we don't get to see all the you know stellar performances that first year guy might have, uh, whether they're not necessarily getting on the field, or if you want to sort of take it in the perspective of the rest of the teams in the OUA, way, uh, a guy that you saw shine in first year production for you, or if you want to sort of take the, the, on the challenge of, if not Joey Zorn, then who?
2: I don't know I don't think there is it. if not Joey Zorn then who <laughs> um, but I almost just want to say anybody else because this just reminds me of Clark Barnes' rookie year when it just seemed like Clark Barnes rookie of the year and not a knock at all against Kojo but I did not see that one coming so I almost just want to say it it makes so much sense for it to be Jay-Z that it's just not going to be Jay-Z Yeah. Also, it it's an it's a. I feel like the you guys make jokes about people forgetting that Windsor is all the way out there. I I feel like voting committees will also have that effect. Just because he's out in Windsor, he 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 deserves Rookie of the Year. I just with the luck that Rookie of the Year sometimes get, I don't think he's going to get it.
0: But then, if not Joey Zorn, who and you know what I I as far as what we saw in the field, uh, I I love Tom that you brought up Isaiah Smith, um and Nate, you, you mentioning some of the guys on Queens and obviously you know a, a, a young man Jaden Blackman we saw have such a great start to the year. Um, I don't know if we saw it like I don't remember the moment we saw him go down. Um, but I don't think we saw him come back that year. But obviously a really promising player for them, and then a first-year player in Jan Longa, um kind of coming out of the woodwork seemingly as well obviously in a system like Queens on the offense with the running game and you know the the, the hogs they have up front it's kind of hard it's 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 kind of like the problem you sometimes run into with Western where it's like wait hold on if even the third string running back is putting up a hundred plus yards like does that somehow take away from the first guys out there um but nonetheless, some really promising young running backs. I think that maybe is kind of what we're getting to with all that, all this, whether it's talking about Zorn, talking about Smith and Guelph, and some of these young backs in Queens. At Queens, uh, and no doubt we can highlight some other folks around the league. Um, you know, we had such such great conversations about like. The, these, these assurgent young quarterbacks, and you know, we feel like we are in good hands. And that, though that felt perhaps a bit precarious with sort of the aging out of the Trey Ford's, the Chris Merchants, Clay Sakara, now perhaps losing DeYoung and losing Duick and guys like that. But also, some of these running backs, um, feels like we're in pretty good hands and finally moving into MVP. And I don't think, well, Perhaps someone will surprise me here. I don't think we'll be moving that far from the question or from the position of running back. But I am here to be surprised. I'm doing a little decision making here about who goes first. Tom Sterling. <laughs> who was the most valuable player in the year 2022 in the OUA? I'm ready. I'm ready to throw a curveball later. So don't worry.
1: Beautiful. Um <laughs> What I will say before I give the uh, my pick for OUA MVP is I do want to give a a small shout out. I don't think that uh, this person is necessarily number two by any means, but at the very least, something to note in Evan Hillock. You know, I think he's uh, sequestered behind those running backs that he had. Obviously, Keon Edwards and Edward Renati, you don't really need to throw the ball, but uh, the kid finishes with uh, just under 1700 yards passing 16 touchdowns and zero interceptions um, for 157 attempts by the kid. The very least that's something to be mentioning. And the only reason I bring that up is because at the very beginning of the year, he was my pick for the OEWA MVP. Unfortunately, that is not the case because it has to be JPC Mackinda. Uh, When you talk about an MVP, about somebody who is, the focal point for the offense, or the focal point for a team, I think it has to be him. For as good as Ben Miracle has been, and and everything else, without that stellar running game and the 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 support that he had from J.P., Ottawa is not as good as they are this year. So it has to be J.P. Simakinda.
0: Yeah, and and JP, I think is is definitely a, like a popular pick, and it's and I'm trying to you know for the sake of of change up the conversation a little bit, um trying to think of who who else it might be, uh, but I'll keep going around the circle to see what we have. Uh, so Nate, you said you have a curveball for us, so um, so who's the so why is the MVP Adam Williams then, Nate Hobbs? Well, <laughs> Uh, no,
3: Tom Starley already stepped on it, man. I was gonna, I was gonna throw Evan, Evan Hillock's name into the ring, uh, and, I, and like he said, it's the the 16 touchdown, the zero picks. He has the highest, uh, you know, passer rating, and something that's like, I mean, he looks like he's you know down the list in yards. He's fourth in yards, but if he didn't get hurt in that last game, and you gave him the you know 195 yards that um, Jackson Whitehead, he would have finished first in yards. Um, so, you know, just, just the fact of being, you know, like the fact that throw no interceptions is absolutely incredible in 17 touchdowns. Um, but you know, it's just the fact that he's doing it for the best team in the country that has gone undefeated and, you know, they have had a a couple minor tests, let's say. Um, so just, yeah, something to note. Um, but just, I feel like, you know, the general, uh, quarterback situation at OUA has trained changed so dramatically from when I played um, just in terms of the lack of, of passing production. We see it's absolutely like incredible to me that our highest passer is averaging only 237 yards per game in Andres Duick, where back when, you know, I, don't want, I don't want to be the back in my day guy, but back in my day, it was only a few years ago, guys, uh, that you would constantly see, you know, guys average a hundred more yards, more than that per game there are at least a couple guys in the three hundreds per game. You know what I mean? And this year and last year as well, we saw the same trend. So, I mean, that's just something I wanted to highlight going forward because it's not like we don't have talent. We have a lot of good quarterbacks in the league, a lot of young guys coming up, but it's just, you know, I feel like there's been a clear shift in the way offenses have been moving in this league. Um, and I feel like that's a good segue to think, you know, where I think the MVP lies. And I think there are two ways to look at it. And one is, you know, who is literally the most valuable player. And with that, I agree with Tom. It's absolutely J.P. Simakinda. I think in terms of, you know, where Ottawa would be without him, still a solid ball club, but I don't think they would be, you know, necessarily in that third spot in the OUA. Such a huge part for them. Um, But the other way to look at it is there's a team that's number one in the country. They haven't lost a game. And the best player on that team has been Keon Edwards. And, you know, it's been a good year for him, you know, and I think the crazy thing is it, it wasn't as good as last year. And I think for me, that's the big narrative I'm looking at is, is this going to be kind of like almost like a little bit of a makeup award from last year? Cause I, I feel me personally, I feel like he almost got snubbed a little bit. I feel like it was almost the Trey Ford legacy award last year because Keon last year was absolutely ridiculous. So that's what I have my eye on. I think in terms of what I think the actual award means and should be, I think it's JP, but um i think if a number two i think it absolutely you know keon's going to be in the mix and the way they've kind of looked at this award narratively
0: um i think he definitely has a shot to win it the the keon piece is really interesting with you bring up his uh, performance last year because i mean edward winati had a stellar year this year he was really good last year too and they still had trey humes last year as well in the backfield and obviously when we talk about you know um MVP and sort of top performers it's hard not to we've talked about this a little bit on the defensive side of the ball how the players around you and perhaps more so on offense can perhaps like cannibalize your own production Uh, we see that with Queens I mean Anthony Soles had a phenomenal year but you know we already mentioned Longa having a great year um, and and, and Kasari having a great year as well and what Keenan does with his legs as well on the ground so all those things are totally weighed in kind of bringing in the politics aspect of it a bit there as well Nate um and just to 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 final question for you though Nate um who who were some of those 300 yard uh, per game or pardon me per year uh quarterbacks uh or per, yeah sorry per game quarterbacks do you remember any of those names well uh, i
3: don't know i i might have been one of them at least at least once or twice um but you know there's there's a Michael Neville was in the mix. I think if I remember correctly, that's one off the top of my head. Uh, but I would have to go look. I mean, may- hey, maybe it's a bias. I don't know. Maybe I'm just remembering things differently. Maybe I'm just trying to give myself credit. I don't know. But I feel like I feel like it was – I hope you don't have it in front of you and you're about to call me out, Zach. That's what I'm, I'm terrified of right now.
0: No, no, no. I'm just going to say that your gray hairs are very nicely quaffed in <laughs> with, with the rest of, of your do there. Dakota, who is the most impressive player you saw all year long from your vantage point?
2: Uh, I mean, if we're again, it's, it's pretty much Nate said it perfectly. If we're going by what the definition of MVP is, it's got to be JP. Um, but then going back on what I said in the last award, it's never off that. Um, I think obviously Evan Hillock, that's our guy, um, had a great year. Um, I, I saw the post on the story where someone called him Trent Dilfer and the hot take of being in the season saying their past game is weak. And I love that he just had pretty much the opposite season of, of what that was. Um, especially when you're on a team that you really could, and I mean this as no shot towards anyone, I feel like I could line up at quarterback for Western and they would still win all the games. And I cannot play right now. Just that's how good their team is. Um, but I think, yeah, just how the awards have gone in the past, I think Keon's gonna get it. Is it a makeup award? Probably not. He did still have a fantastic season. Um, but yeah, if they're going based off a true most valuable player to the team, I think it's JP. Um, but I think that Keon's probably gonna get it. And not that he doesn't deserve it or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I I have nothing to add that we haven't already touched on. I mean, and I think that piece too on we talked about some of the skill position guys on on Ottawa, um, and, and Dakota, you alluded to uh, how formidable their offensive line was as well. But you know, really, just what they were able to establish in the run game, I think, is in large part what helped uh Ben Maracle take the step that he took forward, um, this year as well. Um, so we'll see, you know, we'll see where the, the voters wind up on that. Uh, you know, at least one more time to mention you know Quentin Scott's name as, as far as you know, he, he's not really in the conversation but he's just like i guess honorable mention is, is is the term to throw around with quentin scott and um i believe still a fairly young player so it'll be great to see sort of where he ascends to next um that that's it you guys we crushed the under on this one uh, fantastic job all around um i think i set the over uh so high just knowing myself and my ability to blabber on about anything and everything but particularly oua football um Tom, you and I will be back on the mics very shortly to set up the first round of uh, of the playoffs, all oh, one o'clock games. You <laughs> I know, I, t- I, I took the blame for why well, I, I shared some of the blame on Tom for the mistake we made on our last preview pod. But as I said to Nate, you know, it's not OUA is not without their oh, without their warts. And uh, hey, when it comes down to promoting their game, sometimes it can be a bit lacking. But who knows? Um just as a last go around, um, Tom, obviously, there's so much to sort of see in the playoffs. I mean, we did the kind of if not Joey Zorn, who we could, I guess, do the same game, if not Western, who, if possible, but maybe just sort of general, whether you're looking forward or looking back. Last kind of thoughts uh, before we wrap up this episode.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious to me to just think about it everything that we've kind of talked about throughout the year and how we've dove, uh, you know, dove into some games and things like that. And it's almost been like, ah, Western Mustangs, number one, whatever. Like it's, it's almost boring at this point, but because there's so many exciting games and there's teams like, you know, the Toronto's of the world and the Western or the Windsor's of the world getting into the playoffs and things. And that's exciting. But like, holy crap, is this Western team good? You know, like we, If any individual player, whether that's Winati, whether that's Keon Edwards, or whether that's Evan Hillock, is at any other team, they are the outright MVP no matter what, because they are able to shine on their own. Because the three of them are all in the same backfield, they share time with one another, and it just turns out to be the monster of the Purple Ponies. I just don't think that we've discussed how disgusting this team is and how good that they have the capabilities of being. And so, you know, just for the sake of every Western fan that's out there, we understand how good they are. They are a very good team. But there's been so much um, disparity within the OUA and within the playoff scenario and things, and just kind of seeing where everything kind of lined up. has been really awesome. What I do want to mention, though, is linemen specifically, because we didn't really get into that that part at all. Uh, Western O-line unbelievable obviously being able to do a hurry up offense with just run plays and get like 10 yards a carry is gross Um, but specifically wanted to give a shout out to the queens o-line we were talking about that a little earlier before the pod here i got a chance to to call the laurier queens game last week those queens running backs were not being touched until 10 yards down the field when laurier linebackers made the tackles and everything else they were clean I want to say 90% of the time without being touched by a defensive lineman. Like that's outstanding work and very Western-esque. So because of the offensive lineman in me, because I have to give shout-outs at the very least, shout-out to the Western and the Queens offensive lines. If we do get a rematch of the Yates Cup, that's going to be a hell of a game. And it's
0: worth noting, uh, we obviously talked about, um, well, actually we didn't bring it up on this pod, Evan Hillock, of course, not playing for all that uh, Ottawa game. Zach Fry didn't play in that game either at right tackle. They didn't seem to miss a beat, but definitely something to keep in the back of our minds as we go into the playoffs, uh, because he's just hands down one of the best tackles, one of the best linemen across the board in 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 probably the country. Uh, Nate, your last thoughts? Uh, do you do you want to make the case for your Queens Gales or your UFT Blues and making the miracle run?
3: absolutely I can't with U of T because i like I'm going to Queens next weekend, Zach. Let's not, let's, <laughs> let's hold our hold our horses here a little bit. But um I also don't want to jinx the Queens Gale. So I'm not gonna make my case, but um I will say there's two OUA teams in the top three of the country right now. And I feel like the conference in general is in a very strong position, you know. I don't know what the numbers are in front of me, but I feel like that's not something I've seen in, in quite a few years to have two OUA teams that high. You know, we're constantly seeing Montreal Laval up there or, you know, a Calgary, a team from out west up there. Um, but I think to have those two teams in the top three says a lot. Um, and Queens is a team that's gotten better every week. And I think, you know, that Western game you know, it was close at a point earlier in the season, but I feel like You know, that defense in particular has just ascended to a different level right now. So um, as much as we want to say, like, Western's a big bad, like, they do have a big question mark at quarterback right now. And you know what? It didn't matter against Ottawa, who's the number three. But, you know, maybe it will matter against the number two. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Dakota, whether it's any last thoughts on the year for you or what you're looking forward to most come this playoff season. Last thoughts before we wrap up the pod.
2: First of all, I forgot to mention Alfred Olay as an MVP candidate, uh leading the league in all-purpose yards. Just quick shout out there. Um, do we want to no get into?
0: Do we want to get into the the why? Perhaps though, he's a great returner, but we can talk about the attempts and things um,
2: like that. No, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think one of the hardest things to do in football is to beat a team twice in one season. Um, and Westerns obviously beat Queens and beat Ottawa. And just looking at it, if we do get a Yates Cup repeat. I think Queens will give them a good a good run, um, but I also think Ottawa has the capability to go go to Queens. If that's how it would shake up, I think they would have to go to Queens eventually. Um, and and that's going to be a heck of a game. And I think the biggest worry is that Queens will play Ottawa, and it will be an absolute dogfight. And Western will just be sitting there saying, "Come on, I'll I'll wait. We got we got the Vanya here, and we're we're gonna make sure." We're at the game. Um, I think Western is going to repeat unless something crazy happens. I think that the the players they have in their team are far too, you know, mature in in their game to take anyone or any game for granted. And I think they're going to make sure that they get a good run at the Vanier. But I'm excited. Hopefully I can attend the Yates, if not go to the Vanier.
3: Can I ask a question? If it does happen to be Jackson White the rest of the way out, does that affect your opinion at all? I mean Evan's my guy. Give,
0: give me give me like
3: a percentage of, of how it affects your opinion.
2: It would it would affect my thought on spreads of games. Um, I think games okay. would be closer, but I think that both quarterbacks are talented. Um, Evan's obviously the starter for a reason. But I think Western can win a game with Jackson throwing 160 yards. Well, who's
3: going to stop the O line? So, like a, a Yates Cup, let's say, but maybe not quite a Vanier Cup.
2: Yeah, if it's, uh, I mean, we're you guys are an OUA podcast, so we can just stick to the Yates Cup. <laughs> but uh, I just, I mean, I think when it, when is the Yates? Mid November? Something like that? Yeah, in London, a long time. It's going to be snowy. It's going to be cold, and they're just going to run the ball. Unless Western's O line comes out with sleeves on, and then that's an automatic loss, as we saw against McMaster.
0: Hundred percent. That's that. That's the best take that was made this whole pod. Um, I agree wholeheartedly that I think we'll get Ottawa and Queens as a dog fight, and then the winner will get the host the Laurier Golden Hawks in the Eights Cup. That's not my actual take on the matter, but wouldn't that be something special? Um. Some That would be a wild time to be living in London if that happened. Um Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to so many of these matchups uh, that we're going to get, even if we feel like the conclusion, though I don't completely feel this way, and I think, at least for us on this pod, don't feel it's a fait accompli that Western will just roll if it's a Queens or an Ottawa, despite what we saw in that last game, which really broke my heart in, in many ways. Um But at the same time, I think there is something um, great about the idea of western making it to the Vanier, they're hosting if only for the reason that we've just not had that many vaniers in ontario and i think what we saw when they hosted queens earlier this year i think wasn't an accident that they put on the show they did to say no no no, hey oua hey you sports london like you know london does football well we put on a show as well and that being in that vanier cup is more than just another ring. It's an opportunity, I think, to have future Vaniers stay in Ontario, stay in London. Um, so I, I do think even if it seems like the the boring answer, the chalk answer, I think there's sort of larger games at play in the scope of that. So I, I can't wait to be watching all these matchups Um at one o'clock, of course, as a recap um, and Tom and I will get into the matchups a little more thoroughly for you on Friday, we have Windsor visiting Ottawa, Carlton visiting Wilfred Laurier and U of T and Nate Hobbs visiting Queens and. Um, so, my friends, this was such a pleasure. Uh, it's such a rarity. I get to see all your beautiful faces all at once, even if through the Zoom. Um, so, Tom, I'll be speaking with you come Friday. Nate will be wrapping up the first round. Dakota, as always, will be doing our thing, um, chatting it up. And to you lovely people tuning in, we'll speak to you very soon. At the 55.